This is Chapter Thirty Three of Roughing It. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Roughing It by Mark Twain. Chapter Thirty Three. I do not know how long I was in a state of forgetfulness, but it seemed an age. A vague consciousness grew upon me by degrees, and then came a gathering anguish of pain in my limbs and through all my body. I shuddered. The thought flitted through my brain, This is death. This is the hereafter. Then came a white upheaval at my side, and a voice said with bitterness, Will some gentleman be so good as to kick me behind? It was Baloo. At least it was a tousled snow image in a sitting posture with Baloo's voice. I rose up, and there in the gray dawn, not fifteen steps from us, were the frame buildings of a stage station and under a shed stood our still-saddled and bridled horses. An arched snowdrift broke up, now, and Ollendorf emerged from it, and the three of us sat and stared at the houses without speaking a word. We really had nothing to say. We were like the profane man who could not do the subject justice. The whole situation was so painfully ridiculous and humiliating that words were tame, and we did not know where to commence anyhow. The joy in our hearts at our deliverance was poisoned well-nigh dissipated indeed we presently began to grow pettish by degrees and sullen and then angry at each other angry at ourselves angry at everything in general we moodily dusted the snow from our clothing and in unsociable single file ploughed our way to the horses unsaddled them and sought shelter in the station i have scarcely exaggerated a detail of this curious and absurd adventure it occurred almost exactly as i have stated it we actually went into camp in a snowdrift in a desert, at midnight in a storm, forlorn and hopeless, within fifteen steps of a comfortable inn. For two hours we sat apart in the station and ruminated in disgust. The mystery was gone now, and it was plain enough why the horses had deserted us. Without a doubt they were under that shed a quarter of a minute after they had left us, and they must have overheard and enjoyed all our confessions and lamentations. After breakfast we felt better, and the zest of life soon came back. The world looked bright again, and existence was as dear to us as ever. Presently an uneasiness came over me, grew upon me, assailed me without ceasing. Alas, my regeneration was not complete. I wanted to smoke. I resisted with all my strength, but the flesh was weak. I wandered away alone and wrestled with myself an hour. I recalled my promises of reform and preached to myself persuasively, upbraidingly, exhaustively. But it was all vain. I shortly found myself sneaking among the snowdrifts, hunting for my pipe. I discovered it after a considerable search, and crept away to hide myself and enjoy it. I remained behind the barn a good while, asking myself how I would feel if my braver, stronger, truer comrades should catch me in my degradation. At last I lit the pipe and no human being can feel meaner and baser than I did then. I was ashamed of being in my own pitiful company. Still dreading discovery, I felt that perhaps the further side of the barn would be somewhat safer, and so I turned the corner. As I turned the one corner, smoking, Ollendorf turned the other, with his bottle to his lips, and between us sat unconscious Baloo, deep in a game of solitaire, with the old greasy cards. Absurdity could go no farther. We shook hands, 
and agreed to say no more about reform and examples to the rising generation. The station we were at was at the verge of the twenty-six-mile desert. If we had approached it half an hour earlier the night before, we must have heard men shouting there and firing pistols, for they were expecting some sheep-drovers and their flocks, and knew that they would infallibly get lost and wander out of reach of help unless guided by sounds. While we remained at the station, three of the drovers arrived, nearly exhausted with their wanderings, but two others of their party were never heard of afterward. We reached Carson in due time and took a rest. This rest, together with preparations for the journey to Esmeralda, kept us there a week, and the delay gave us the opportunity to be present at the trial of the great landslide case of Hyde versus Morgan, an episode which is famous in Nevada to this day. After a word or two of necessary explanation, I will set down the history of this singular affair just as it transpired. End of chapter 33